I do got to hand it to Zoom IME. Mm. New Zealand as a whole, it seems, complained and cried and screamed about the treatment of Paura, the Kiwi who was being forced to do Kiwi encounters with paying customers and put under lights. Uh, Zoom IME have apologised and are changing things. It was a good apology, wasn't it? It was a beautiful apology. And it was a great example of the whole country coming together. One of my favourite moments. Well, yeah. I mean, it was a great example of New Zealand indulging in one of its favourite national activities, which is pile-ons and righteous indignation. We, we love to come together in moments of outrage. I think about the unruly tourists. Yeah. This was like a, another example of that, which is beautiful. And in fact, the communications guy from Zoo Miami told the zoo director, we have offended a nation. I hope our is doing okay. This is all that we're going to talk about on the show today, isn't it? So should we get to it? Go on. Kia ora, this is Newsball. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. The gap between perception and reality when it comes to talking about crime. We've got all you need to know about how the OCR affects you. A potential presidential frontrunner is announcing his campaign today. So just who is Ron DeSantis? The live-action remake of The Little Mermaid is also out today, uh, but not everyone wants to see it. Plus the story of Orca taking over the Mediterranean. All that's coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Well, it feels like there is a lot of news about crime at the moment. It does. And it's not even just at the moment. It's been like a year of it, right? Yeah. Ram raids, disappearances, looting. It just doesn't stop. Yeah. And... You know, in a sense, it's kind of almost like there's a formula, particularly in the media, of like something really bad happens to somebody and they feel unsafe and they talk about it and then politicians get involved. And then some of them say society's breaking down. Others say that's terrible. But according to our stats, crime's actually down. So you shouldn't feel unsafe. You're actually safer than you've ever been. It's all confusing. Yeah, exactly. And I guess confusing, that's a good word for it. We thought this was quite an interesting thing to think about. So we've invited Victoria University criminologist Trevor Bradley on for a yarn and he's with us now. Kia ora. Kia ora. Do you sense that people are feeling less safe at the moment? Beyond those communities or more specifically those neighbourhoods that have been affected by some of the more serious offences over the last, say, year or so, and I'm referring to some of the shootings, of course, you know, those types of incidents, those events really shake people up, they shake the neighbourhood up. But it's very difficult to say how extensive that is and, and to what extent it expands or extends beyond those immediate vicinities and those immediate neighbourhoods. It's very easy to say that the New Zealand public are now much more fearful of crime, but we don't actually have a lot of evidence about that. I guess it's, it's, it must also be something to do with the nature of the crimes, right, Trevor? Like if the shop around your corner gets ram-raided in broad daylight, that's going to be more scary to a community than finding out that the shop around the corner got hacked and $100,000 got stolen from its bank account, despite the fact that both of those are crimes. If your local dairy's been held up and there's been an aggravated robbery and you're a regular shopper in those places, that, that that's going to be upsetting because you know these people mm-hmm. and it's part of of your routine. So of course that'll be upsetting. But it's a really interesting thing to think about the extent to which events which are local in nature have an impact much beyond those local communities. So myself and a couple of colleagues a few years ago did some research on this very question. 
on people's perceptions of crime. And what we found was really interesting, and that was that in the local area, regardless of whether it was a high crime community or not, because they had access to lots of different sources of information, including talking to neighbours and friends and colleagues or whatever, they had a much you know, better appreciation of the kind of level of risks that they were exposed to. Whereas when we asked them about their perceptions of crime in other parts of the country, they were much more inclined to say that, yes, that's a big problem. Mm. Why? Well, because they were relying on national media, essentially. And so their picture of crime was not experiential. It was totally kind of learned or gleaned from the media. Do you think that political rhetoric contributes to either a feeling of lack of safety or of complacency in this area? Certainly. You know, we've seen over the last six or eight months the amping up of the political rhetoric around crime and law and order. And and, and as you point out, the typical pattern is the opposition politicians like to paint a very bleak picture and how the, uh, the incumbent government is doing a very poor job while the incumbent government have got the opposite viewpoint and they like to talk about how you know all of the initiatives and the programs and the funding that they've invested in that particular area and how things are getting better and there's there's a little bit of truth on both sides but the objective of both sides is very different and that's why we get that very different rhetoric so, you know, keeping in mind the limitations of those official recorded crime statistics, the surveys also support that overall picture of a downward trend over time. We'll be fascinated to see how this all plays out over the coming weeks and months. Uh, Trevor Bradley, thanks so much for your time. Really interesting stuff. Pleasure. Well, the official cash rate has been hiked by 0.25%. It's now sitting at 5.5%. Just as BNZ Chief Economist Mike Jones predicted here on Newsable earlier this week. So the man himself is back with us today to talk about that rise. Mike, just as you predicted, um, how is this jump being received by those in the financial world? Well, the three-word summary coming out of this meeting is that's all, folks. Uh, we got the 0.25% increase, as you said, as, as we talked about yesterday, but I guess the thing that was a little surprising for, for, for most is that the Reserve Bank said, well, we think that's enough. We think we've done enough now to bring inflation back down. So now it's a case of, as they say, you know, watch, worry and wait and to keep rates at this level for, for some time in order for them to do their work and, and get inflation back down to those more comfortable levels that the bank is after. Mike, I don't know if you're allowed to call bullshit on the Reserve Bank, but, I mean, are you calling bullshit on the idea that this is the roof, or do you still expect that we might see some further hikes? I think the bar to further hikes now is really high. I mean, we were of the view that the bank might have done enough uh, anyway, but that it was going to err on the side of ensuring that inflation was beaten by doing more. So we're actually pretty comfortable with the decision and the forecast that they've made. It will be the last official cash rate increase and we'll now have, a, I guess, a period of stability for a wee while. I think the debate's going to shift very quickly from one of how high the peak to how long the peak. So that's, uh, I guess, what we're going to be talking about over the next you know, weeks and months. Has the Reserve Bank addressed worries this could have a really bad effect on the economy and jobs? It's still a tough economic environment and the Reserve Bank acknowledged that. I mean, they're still forecasting a recession. They're still talking about unemployment starting to rise. What we did see from the bank quite clearly today was that they are very aware that the 
huge interest rate increases we've seen to date are going to take some time to work through the economy. There's the lags we spoke about yesterday mm. as they feed through into higher mortgage rates and, and so forth. So I think that is perhaps in part why they're, they're now content to sit back and, and just see how things evolve. Mm. And I guess that's sort of hovering in the background here, Mike, isn't it, is that a hike is still a hike, even if it's the last one that we expect for a while. So like who will be worse hit here? Is it people who recently taken out a mortgage or a renewing one or who are needing a mortgage? Yeah, look, it's, it is a quite a lopsided picture. I mean, we saw earlier that you know, retail spending in New Zealand is already in recession. We saw uh, quite a big decline in, in the first quarter spending volumes. So indebted households, indebted firms are going to be acutely affected by some of these increases. Uh, that's going to take a toll on, on spending you know, particularly discretionary spending and, and also other interest rate sensitive sectors, you know, like, for example, construction and things like that. So, you know, it's not going to be the case that, that everyone's affected to the same extent. There's got to be quite a, quite a mixed picture, we think, over the next 12 months. Mike Jones, thank you so much for your time and your crystal ball accurate <laughs> gazing. <laughs> it's nice to get one right. Thanks, guys. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Well, it's a name that we have heard quite a bit over the past few months, and it's a name we're going to hear a heck of a lot more. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, will be announcing on Twitter later today that he is campaigning to be the Republican candidate for President of the United States at the 2024 US elections. So, who is he? Well, joining us to give us a bit of a 101 is The Guardian Sam Levine, who is based in New York. Kia ora, Sam. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So tell us, who is Ron DeSantis? Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida. He was first elected in 2018. He was re-elected last year. He's in his second term. Two very different elections. In 2018, he was narrowly elected. And last year, he won a commanding victory, was reelected by almost 20 points. And over the last several years in the U.S., he's really emerged as a conservative rock star. He has skyrocketed to the top of every list here to become the person that is most mentioned as a top-tier contender for president. I wanted to ask about that, Sam. Like, where would you place him on the ideological spectrum when it comes to the Republican Party? He's further on the right. Definitely would not describe him as a moderate by any means. I don't think he is someone who is described as fringe, on the other hand, but is seen as a very solidly conservative governor. He is unapologetic for his views on abortion, on LGBTQ issues. 
And he's seen as someone who's very politically savvy. He'll be up against Donald Trump for that Republican nomination. How great of a chance does he have at at seizing that? It's still early, uh, and polls have shown that Donald Trump still has a commanding lead over DeSantis. A lot of people, the way you'll hear them describe DeSantis as sort of as ideological as Trump, as aggressive as Trump, as unapologetic as Trump, But people say he's not as careless. He's a little more careful. He's not off the cuff or doesn't say things or do things that will get him in trouble the way that Trump will. Sam Levine, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Anytime. The live-action remake of The Little Mermaid is out today, so we thought, we know someone who'll want to talk all about that. Friend of Newsable, movie and TV review superstar, James Crute. Yeah, easy peasy. But um, when we asked James Crute if A, he'd already seen the film and B, wanted to give us a preview of it, he said no. And he went on to say, I don't even plan on seeing this, which uh, it threw us, didn't it, Imogen? Just a little bit. Yeah. So we um, we decided that we'd get him on to explain himself. Kia ora, James Crute. Good morning. Good morning. Why do you hate fun? <laughs> Hey, look, maybe I'm a certain age, but to me, the Disney renaissance didn't start with The Little Mermaid. It established a template, yes, but Beauty and the Beast is the goat Mm. of these kind of musical movie animated things. And while I coped with remaking that as a live action movie, I even coped with The Lion King, despite all the creepy CGI animals. Mm. This just doesn't feel right. There's just something about this, and I'm not talking about changing Ariel's hair colour yet again, can I say, because she ain't a redhead in the Hans Christian Andersen story. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know, there's something distinctly creepy about the um, CGI fish and all that kind of thing. I've seen it compared to cats as a potential <laughs> way. But, but really deep down, my issue is more systemic. Why, Disney, are you simply remaking all those things from my childhood in particular or teenage years and early 20s instead of making new ones? Am I right in saying your your issue is with the live action rehash and not with The Little Mermaid itself? Because that's where I was going to take personal issue. Well, yeah. Look, The Little Mermaid was always a kind of an oddity to me. Mm. And, you know, there was this kind of almost the best part of a decade where you could rely on Disney as this sort of great movie musical. They would get stars involved eventually. But, you know, they were creating great music as well as great animation. One review I read for this live-action remake of The Little Mermaid said, don't be surprised if Harley Bailey wins an Oscar. That doesn't have your salt? Well, you know, there's potential there, but I just don't want to waste my time (laughs) watching a remake of that kind of thing. I've also heard that Javier Bardem could well be in the running for a Razzie rather than an Oscar. There have been a lot of uh, critiques of his performance. Well, jaded curmudgeon James Crute, thank you very much for coming on and explaining yourself. You actually made some good points there. Can't argue with much of that, can you, mate? Well, no, I will because I will be seeing it. Yeah, okay, enough, fair enough. Um, anyway, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. No worries. Of course, all this then begs the question, will you be going to see The Little Mermaid, usable listeners? Let us know. You, you and I could go together. <coughs> That's an option. Emil's certainly not going with me. No, I'm not. <laughs> 
Email us, newsville at stuff.co.nz or get in touch via Instagram. Let us know, are you going to see The Little Mermaid, the live-action remake? I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I think Chris, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, we're, I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing a fair there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Emil, are you familiar with the Strait of Gibraltar? Of course, yes. The uh, narrow stretch of water that separates, I think it's the bottom tip of Spain, Gibraltar, from the northernmost tip of Morocco in Africa. The, the Strait of Gibraltar it does separate Europe from Africa. And a group of scientists believe there's a bit of a killer whale coup going on. Because according to a report, killer whale coup, a killer whale coup—that's a sentence, isn't it? Yeah, thank you very much. I'm quite like proud that. of that. Nice. Uh, according to reports, there's been an uptick in orcas ramming into boats over the last couple of years, and they reckon they have traced it back. There's reports that there was this one orca back in 2020 that had quite a severe run-in with a boat. They reckon that orca has been teaching the others that live in the Gibraltar Strait to attack any boats that they see. To attack boats? Yeah. A, an orca has been leading like a paramilitary force against boats. Yes, I'm talking gangs as well, like three, sometimes six killer whales targeting punters on the water. The boat earlier this month ended up sinking because of the damage caused mm-hmm. by a, a wee pod. And a passenger on a boat that was attacked in the past as well by orcas said that it, the bigger one would ram in and then mm. sort of drop back and then a little one would then do the same. So it's literally like they're teaching them in real time what to do. This is, of course, all a theory. They've not tracked specifically this behaviour, but some a biologist, I think, based in Portugal, this was his conclusion based on the facts that we have. I mean, they are very clever, though, Orcas, aren't they? I, I remember reading something about how they swim in formation and use waves to knock seals off floating bits of ice mm. in the in the ocean. So I guess it's not, you know, it, it's kind of logical that they would do that to, to hit up these annoying boats in the sea as well. I read that they've got an IQ of a 15 to 16-year-old as well. So that pack mentality... Here's a fun activity I've learned how to do. I'm going to teach the rest of you. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, that's your little fun fact for the for the day, and it's not even Friday. It's Thursday, and I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Neil Donovan. <laughs> it was a good segue. <laughs> Remember, you can follow us wherever you get your podcasts and uh, across all of your social channels as well, at NewsWarNCs. And you can also hit us up directly if you've got something to say, if you've got more orca information for us, email us at newsable at stuff.co.nz. 